This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to mclanahanacademy.com. That's mclanahanacademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to mclanahanacademy.com, enroll today, and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 457. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back in the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. Why are you there? Give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by clicking on that support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. It's a great way. You can throw a few pennies my way. You can get a book plate on one of my books, my newest book, The Jeffersonian Tradition is out. You're going to want that. Also, click on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. Lots of great ways to support the show. And, of course, always send me your show ideas. Rate this podcast where you get podcasts. Do all you can to let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. That's how we expand the audience out. And, it's uh, you know again, it's an honor to be here and have you listening to this show. I do appreciate it. Well, I mentioned yesterday that we were going to talk, and I had some really great podcasts this week, and I wanted to set it all up with this idea of Lincolnian nationalism being the greatest threat to America, and we just don't realize it. The right in particular, conservatives, don't realize it. Because they think that if they can just control the central authority, everything will get better. Well, how did that work out? for four years in the Trump administration. In fact, I think you could say that everything got worse. So what do, they ha- what do we have to do in this process? Well, there's an interesting piece at American Greatness. Now, American Greatness um, has not been very kind to me just because of Michael Anton, I think otherwise. But uh, I will re- you are going to see my response to Michael Anton in Chronicles magazine. If you don't get Chronicles, you should. And my response is going to be there, and I take him to task. But regardless, uh, the fact is American greatness does have a Lincoln problem. That's their greatest problem. If they could just get over this Lincoln problem, some of what they say is pretty good. But you see, they're framing everything the exact same way The left would frame all this stuff. And there's a piece that came out by Jeremy Carl uh, just about a week ago, I guess. I started getting this. Several people sent this to me. So certainly when several people send me something, that's something that people want me to talk about. The title of the piece is The New Secession Crisis. The Democrats have already left the union. Now, Jeremy Carl is a senior fellow at the Claremont Institute. 
Claremont Institute is a major problem in American conservatism. But before I, I mean, we're going to get into this piece. I'm going to read it, and I'll comment on some of the things here. It's historically bad. Though what he's saying at the end, it's like they're wrestling with this thing again. They want to get to the right conclusion, but they can never do it if you're going to be a Lincolnian. You can never get to the right conclusion. So, here we go. It was appropriate that news of the Democrats' plans to pack the Supreme Court broke in April. Just a couple of days after the 160th anniversary of the Confederate attack on Fort Sumter, the shots that began the Civil War. So, it's, I mean, it's, it's appropriate that these Democrats are talking about packing the court because they are just like the Confederates who fired on Fort Sumter. We have to take a Lincolnian approach to knock these nincompoops out. The great Abraham Lincoln is going to provide the way forward. He will show us the light. Unlike President James Buchanan, who dithered and responded to obvious Confederate aggression. Well, wait a second here. Let's let's back. Let's just look at that one sentence. What was the obvious Confederate aggression in, say, January of 1861? What was it? What was the obvious Confederate aggression? You know, if you go back and look at that point, so basically he's saying by leaving the Union, that was aggression. So would Jeremy Carl say that in a situation where you have a marriage that's not working, the person that leaves says, you know what, I'm out of here. I can't stand this anymore. I'm going away. They're being aggressive because that's what he's saying. That 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 person would be the aggressor and that you have to take care of that by forcing that person back into the union. And you can use any means necessary to do it. Violence if need be. Because you know what? That person's aggressive for leaving. How dare they leave? What was the obvious aggression when James Buchanan was president? No one was shooting at anybody. Now, of course, you can say, well, what about, what about the time that Buchanan tried to star the wet? If you had said, I'm leaving, and you set up your own house, even if, let's say you had two properties, and one person went to this house, and then you had the other house, and you said, I'm leaving, don't come to this house anymore, this is my house, and you showed up, and the person said, get off my property, would that person then be guilty of aggression for defending what they thought was theirs? Would that be the case? Well, I don't think so. I don't think any rational person would think so. But this is exactly what Jeremy Carl is saying. James Buchanan was a saint in this way. James Buchanan prevented bloodshed. And then we get Lincoln. You see, there was no war between December of 1860 when South Carolina left the Union and when Buchanan left office. There was no war. Nothing happened. He didn't dither. He didn't want to send the United States into war over a purely American principle of self-determination. But the newly inaugurated Abraham Lincoln acted decisively upon taking office, yes, and started the war. Now, Carl doesn't think that. He informed South Carolina Governor Francis Pickens that he would be resupplying the fort 
forcing, forcing South Carolina's hand. But of course, uh, the, the fact is there were Confederate commissioners in D.C. begging to meet with the Lincoln administration to buy the fort. The men who were there, Anderson's men were allowed to mingle around Charleston. Nobody attacked them. Nobody did anything. They just made it clear that if they were going to supply the fort, that was an act of aggression by the United States. And you know what? What else you miss in all this? And I guess Jeremy Carl doesn't know this. But Lincoln also sent troops into Fort Pickens in Florida, which, again, you had people trying to purchase the fort. You had, you, you, and this was, there was a stalemate there between the Buchanan administration and, and Florida forces. Look, I won't do anything here. You don't do anything. We'll just kind of let it be. The status quo was just going to be a tense standoff, but nobody's going to shoot at each other. That changed when Lincoln sent troops into Fort Pickens and into Fort Sumter. Now, Carl doesn't think so. He said, uh, Lincoln's actions did not start the war. Yes, they did. They made it clear that war was already underway. No, it wasn't. In fact, Winfield Scott wouldn't have said this. This is where these people are so stupid they can't get out of their own way. From that point on, Americans, even those who had previously wished to ignore what was staring them in the face, were awakened to the reality of their situation. No. Lincoln forced an armed conflict that didn't have to happen. You could have left seven states out of the Union. The United States government still would have existed. You still would have had a slave-holding federal republic. It would have been there because North Carolina, Virginia, Maryland, Delaware, Kentucky, Tennessee, they're still in the Union. Missouri, still in the Union. You still had eight slave states in the Union the day that Lincoln said, I'm going to provision the fort, and Fort Sumter was fired on by South Carolina forces. Eight slave states are still in the Union. So you would have had two slaveholding republics on the North American continent. Lincoln started the war. There's no other way to look at this. Winfield Scott said, if you provision the fort, you're going to start the war. So the history here is just awful. And then you get into this gem from a Claremonter. I mean, you can't, you can't expect anything else. The dispute between Lincoln and Pickens that led to the attack on Fort Sumter was not simply a political struggle over who should control the regime. Control what regime? What was Pickens trying to control? Was he trying to control the central authority? Absolutely not. Pickens was saying, look, leave us alone. We're going to control South Carolina. We are South Carolina. You Control what regime? But a larger political struggle over what regime it would be. Look at this term he's using, regime. Are we the Stalinists? Well, certainly. I think the Claremont, when you look at Lincolnianism, these people are Stalinists. But, I mean, what are we talking about here? Regime? We have regimes in America? Well, I mean, we do now. Do we have a regime back then? Well, certainly Lincoln's administration turned into one. But, is, I mean, is this what we're, this what we're doing? Ultimately, it was a question of whether we would be a nation of free citizens or one that held men and women in bondage. Was that the case? Did Lincoln say he's going to war to free slaves? Remember, we still had eight slave states in the Union that had all rejected either implicitly or explicitly secession. 
1861. Rejected it. Lincoln said himself, I'm not going to war to free the slaves. The men who marched off to fight, who rallied around this call for 75,000 volunteers to put down the rebellion, weren't marching off to free slaves. They were marching off to save the Union, to stop the rebellion. This is what they said. But no, 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 not to Jeremy Carl, expert Claremonter from Montana. Today's Republicans, like Lincoln, find themselves in a regime-level conflict with the Democrats. Regime. Think about the language he's using here, that term regime. So, this is embarrassing. This is being passed off as conservative in any way. This is the language progressives use. Well, of course, the Claremont people are progressives. They are. They just don't realize it, but this is what they are. The Democrats are firing again and again at our constitutional order, our history, and our traditions. Our metaphorical Fort Sumter, if you will. But unlike our forebear Lincoln, our elected leadership seems either to be aiding the insurgent left at, or, at best, feebly invoking constitutional provisions and principles as if our opponents have shown that their behavior can be in any way constrained by these things. We need to channel the spirit of Lincoln rather than be candid to win this struggle. God help us. <laughs> because you know who really controls the Lincolnian apparatus? The left. This is what these people don't realize. They're so stupid they can't get out of their own way. The left controls the apparatus. And these people, well, this is what we need to do. We need to channel our Lincoln. No, no, no. We need to channel our old Republican tendencies. We need to go back to the founding. Not Lincoln. Not Lincoln. You want Lincolnian nationalism? You're going to get crushed. These people, again, they can't realize that the great conflict in their thinking is Lincoln. This does not mean that we should forego our work within the current system, but we must acknowledge that, whether we wish it or not, the regime as constituted may not long endure in its current form, and we must prepare, us, prepare ourselves accordingly. The regime. The regime. So then he gives you the indictment. Now, some people have said this is a secessionist piece. I think it's not. Jeremy Carl is simply saying we need to follow a Tenth Amendment vision of America. But yet, that doesn't work with Lincoln, does it? It doesn't really. The two things are kind of incompatible. Not kind of. They are. They're incompatible. You can't have a Lincolnian nationalist vision and then have decentralization work within that and actually work effectively because under a Lincolnian nationalist vision, decentralization doesn't work. You can't have independence. You can't have self-determination. You can't have these things. Lincoln crushed all that. These people, again, they're just stupid. They can't figure this out. The indictment. The Democrats have already seceded from America's historic conception of nationhood in many respects. Conception of nationhood. The idea of nation. They've seceded from it. They've attacked it and seceded from it. Well, maybe because there was never really an, an American nation. What I said, what did World War II do? What I said yesterday, what did World War II do to America? It codified this Lincolnian nationalism. And you got to think, 1930s, not a whole lot of immigration into the United States. We have the Great Depression around the world. Immigration has been restricted to all-time lows. 
beginning in the 1920s. It starts to ramp up after World War II, but you had generally a much more homogenous America for about a decade or more. The war uh, you know, codifies all of that. And so this is what these Claremont people are actually fighting for. The Roosevelt vision of America. They're not really conservatives. They're fighting for the Lincolnian vision of America, which isn't conservative. Russell Kirk did not include Abraham Lincoln as a conservative. For good reason. He's not. And he wasn't. Neither was Alexander Hamilton. So here is his indictment. They have attacked. He's doing this kind of like the Declaration of Independence. They, meaning the Democrats, have attacked on a relentless and increasingly hysterical basis white Americans, who as the overwhelming majority population, were the primary developers of America's culture, intellectual, and political heritage, with all its success as well as its shortcomings. In doing so, they attacked the traditions, history, and values developed by those generations of Americans that historically bound together Americans of all races, religions, and backgrounds. Well, I think the best way to describe this is not just white Americans, but Anglo, the Anglo-American tradition. They're attacking that. They certainly are. The Anglo-American tradition. It's under attack. Because you have white Americans from all backgrounds. I would say that you know, there's definitely white Americans who arrived much later who weren't really part of that process of the founding. Right? There's a certain group of white Americans that were in part of that. It's the Anglo-American tradition. They have occupied our nation's capital with thousands of troops as if the American people were a foreign foe. This was done in response to a non-existent threat on the pretext of a shocking but solitary riot wherein everyone who died was a Trump supporter and none of the so-called insurgents was armed. They have since held many of these participating even peripherally in prison for months, often in solitary confinement, on absurdly inflated charges as a political punishment and a warning to future dissidents. Now, I do agree with this paragraph. They are doing this, right? This is, but this is Lincolnianism. The Democrats are acting like Lincoln. This is what Lincoln did. This is exactly what Lincoln did during the war in the North. The exact same thing. To people that were simply opposing him politically, 30,000 political prisoners held indefinitely in northern prisons, it happened. And yet, Jeremy Carl seems to be ignorant of that. Because we need to act like Lincoln. Acting like Lincoln is what gets us in trouble. This is exactly what the Democrats are doing. They have engaged in bureaucratic and judicial nullification of our laws, particularly on immigration, perhaps the most important element in determining who makes up the American polity. Donald Trump ran on the platform of toughening up immigration policy. It was his defining issue, but he didn't really do anything about it. I mean, we're going to build the wall. It didn't really get built. And I know that there was congressional part of this, blocking it and everything else, but the Republicans weren't really behind it either. But see, he's actually attacking nullification, bureaucratic and judicial nullification. Now, what's interesting at the end, he kind of talks about nullification, but yet he's railing against nullification here. Yet the left made a mockery of the rule of law, using the bureaucracy to throw up procedural roadblock after procedural roadblock to Trump's agenda, while left-wing judges issued blatantly absurd rulings using invented doctrines to block Trump's rescission of Obama's deferred action for childhood arrivals order and accuse the administration of a Muslim ban that, in fact, was based heavily on an earlier Obama administration. I mean, look, all that's true. Okay. All that is true. 
This is what the left does. Why? Because Lincoln gave him the apparatus to do it. You want Lincolnianism? We're seeing it when the left does all this stuff. They have campaigned for decades to neuter the Second Amendment and disarm Americans based on a misreading of constitutional rights and an empirically unjustified paranoia about white men and guns pushed relentlessly in their corporate media. Terrified of urban violence but unable to acknowledge this because of their own political taboos, affluent white leftists have sought to tra train their rhetorical and legal fire on groups with relatively low rates of crime, pushing ineffective policies that do not keep us safe but do keep us under their control. Again, this is true, but we'll get into a. Well, I'm going to talk about this new ruling from a federal judge in California. We're going to get into that this week and how this is, again, a Lincolnian nationalist problem. Centralization is the enemy. Lincolnian centralization is the enemy, not decentralization. And I think that Jeremy Carl is kind of figuring this out, but he can't really get past the Lincolnian part. They have attacked us through their big tech proxies, damaging our ability to speak freely in the new public square, coordinate political action, or share information with each other outside of a tightly controlled corporate media apparatus. This censorship campaign started with popular but more politically marginalized figures such as Alex Jones and Milo and moved, boiling the frog slowly to deplatforming the sitting president of the United States. Thousands of right-wing dissidents, man many with large followings, have been effectively removed from public discourse for political reasons, often with only the flimsiest proceduralist justifications. When Project Veritas conducted de devastating undercover exposés on the misbehavior of quasi-state corporate media, in which key figures from these entities actually directly admitted they are engaging in propaganda, the group was banned from social media. Again, this is true. What he's saying here is not untrue, but think about it. The coordinated effort by the central authority and the press, where does that come from? Centralization. Who's the author of the modern American state? Abraham Lincoln. And, by default, Franklin Roosevelt after World War II. You see? And, of course, you've got to throw in Woodrow Wilson because some of that stuff started there. The progressives all did this. Lincoln is a progressive. This is everything they were doing, and now this conservative, quote-unquote, is complaining about it and saying we've got to be more like Lincoln. In what way? Unless you want to do the exact same thing to the left. And I know there are people out there that would cheer that. Yeah, let's shut all those jerks down. Let's shut them all down. Let's take them. Let's do away with them. I mean, who's going to win that ultimately? It isn't going to be the right because we don't have the numbers. They have pursued race-based reparations, wealth confiscation from one set of Americans to another based purely on skin color and blatant contradiction to the Constitution's promise of equal protection under the laws. Many of our existing welfare systems are, on that basis, race-based wealth transfers. But to racialize such transfers explicitly represents a net base, I'm sorry, represents a dramatic escalation in the Democrats' war on the equality guaranteed to us in our founding documents. So here we go with this equality problem. That's why I said the 1776 Project and the 1619 Project are two sides of the same coin. They're both dangerous. The equality guaranteed to us in our founding documents. What founding documents? You're talking about the Declaration, which doesn't hold up in a court of law? You're talking about Lincoln's Gettysburg Address? See, here we go. It's where Lincoln is dangerous, ladies and gentlemen. It's where Lincoln is dangerous, and these conservatives can't figure it out. They have turned the media into a propaganda arm of the ruling political party, using their media proxies to engage in a full-time war against Trump's policies and any policy they oppose. Journalists have abandoned all pretenses of fairness and balance. 
During the election campaign, they censored or refused to report on stories such as Hunter Biden's possible involvement with his father and corrupt dealings with the Chinese government that would negatively affect Democrats. This was done in conjunction with the coordinated demonization of the opposition candidate. Again, true. I'm not saying that some of this piece is not true, but the solutions he offers are just stupid. They have used instruments of the state such as the IRS, the FBI, and the Department of Defense, and numerous other agencies to attack political opponents. Political allies of President Trump were investigated and prosecuted by the government in ways that were transparently focused on taking down the duly elected president. Anytime you have this much power, this much centralization, you can do this. It happened during the Roosevelt administration. It's happened many times. Richard Nixon had his enemies list. Richard Nixon was by no means a conservative. Lincoln would do the exact same thing. They would target the opposition press and try to shut them down. They would target the opposition. I mean, Lincoln actually banned a congressman from being in the United States. Clement Vallandigham banned him, kicked him out. That's Lincoln. This is what the left is doing, what Lincoln did. And yet this Dippy, I'm not going to use what is Dippy, thinks that this is somehow we got to go back to Lincoln. They have blatantly rigged the election process, changing of rules and violation of state laws, manipulating debate rules and polls, and relentlessly pushing for an unconstitutional federalization of state election laws. Well, again, you saw this during the Lincoln regime, <laughs> which massive voter fraud in 1864. We know it was there. They have engaged in asymmetric, I'm sorry, street violence against us. For the left, their violence is speech. And our speech is violence. One-third of very liberal whites believe violence can be justified in pursuing political goals versus just 4% of very conservative whites. This is why I said the left is dangerous. The politically connected left is dangerous. And Lincoln, of course, is part and parcel of that. They believe in Lincoln. I talked about that way back. Episode, I think it was 20, 25, Brian McClanahan show. The, the politically the, the left as being the politically dangerous side, the most violent side in the history of the world. They have enabled their armed and violent wings to cause billions of dollars in damage during the George Floyd and Antifa riots, making them the most expensive civil disturbances in history, while criminalizing the much smaller and far less significant street forces on the right, such as the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers, further using their control of the state legal apparatus to label their opponents as domestic terrorists. Who else did this? Abraham Lincoln! In 1860, well, 1861, the Union Army marched into Delaware, for example, and disarmed militia companies they considered to be dangerous and threw people in jail, including a future United States senator named Thomas F. Byard. Threw him in jail because he supposedly supported the Confederates. Now, there's no evidence of this, but he was a conservative, so he was thrown in jail. He eventually was released, but the fact is this happened. This is the Lincolnian BS that we're being told is great by Jeremy Carl. They removed entire groups of Americans who are not in their privileged demographics from roles in government leadership. Biden tweets about a cabinet that looks like America when his cabinet has 25 of 25 has no whites of Protestant origin, a group that encompassed almost every one of the founding fathers and even today makes up 40% of the electorate. Meanwhile, in the civil service, the Democrats are taking pains to out-Trump supporters and ban them from government jobs. Even the military is now falling under their assault. Again, this is true. They have erased our history, tearing down our statues, renaming our schools, and revising our curricula to focus on a radical and racist doctrine of critical race theory. Okay, wait a second. These are the same Claremonters that say it's okay to take down Confederate monuments. 
Alan Gelzo, the conservative, well, if they can engage in treason, take him down. This guy just said at the beginning that the Confederates were the bad guys. So they shouldn't be there. We should take them down if you follow his line of logic, but yet he's contradicting himself in this indictment of the Democrats. They have corrupted our jury system with Representative Maxine Waters and Joe Biden flagrantly involving themselves in a local jury trial. The specter of mob violence hung over the Derek Chauvin trial, as was clearly evident from the juror who spoke on the record, while the other jurors blatantly broke their oaths of impartiality to obtain the required verdict. They have locked us in our homes on the basis of often arbitrary requirements and lack of evidence and enriched themselves dramatically in the process. Meanwhile, the most stringent lockdown proponents from Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan to Gavin Newsom in California have been found flagrantly violating their own lockdown orders. Furthermore, thousands of left-aligned public health professionals, many of them directly on the government payroll, advocated for the Black Lives Matter and Antifa protests and riots during the heart of the pandemic, claiming that racism was a public health crisis. Again, all this is true. They have attempted, most importantly, to change our fundamental structures of governance and trying to add Puerto Rico and Washington, D.C., which is uh, specifically excluded from statehood in the Constitution of the States. They have attempted to fundamentally and unilaterally alter the congressional balance of power. They have attempted to end the Senate filibuster and pack the Supreme Court by amending the 152-year-old Judiciary Act in a blatant attempt to remove the influence of the last branch of government they don't control. That they have not yet been able to accomplish all of these desecrations, I'm sorry, is due only to a couple of moderate Democrats remaining in the Senate. But the right cannot stake America's future on the continued benevolence of a couple of Democratic politicians. There is no doubt that with a few additional seats in Congress, the Democrats would not hesitate to change these laws, furthering cementing their secession from our mutual polity. Well, no, I would say that they are just simply taking over the reins of power. This is what Lincoln did. They're not seceding from this, but they're, they're punishing their political opponents, which is what Lincoln did. Violently punishing their political opponents, which is what Lincoln did. And this is where, I mean, again, the guy just can't seem to get it. And so, while we should not abandon our attempts to make positive change in the current system, we cannot rely solely on proceduralist maneuvers to attempt reconciliation with people who make it clear they want to defeat and destroy us. That sounds a lot like the South in 18, 1861. Well, we can't, we can't be in alliance with people that call us vomit. A union with that? Why would we do it? This is what Calhoun was saying. That's very Southern. But yet, he's going to say, we need to follow Lincoln. The confusion of these people is just laughable, if it wasn't so sad. We must begin to relocate physically to welcoming local geographies and rebuild our capacity for independent action by creating parallel institutions to existing corrupted ones. That sounds a lot like what the Confederacy was trying to do. Hmm. My Claremont Institute colleague, Michael Anton, (laughs) has suggested some ways in which fundamental internal political reorganization of our states and localities could head off a dire crisis. Well, I mean, look, Michael Anton's a dippy. But I've been telling you about thinking locally and acting locally for years, long before Michael Anton started to say so. Long before Michael Anton even got wind of anything like this. See, the Claremont people are behind the curve. They're way behind the curve. They're still thinking about Abraham Lincoln every day and what they, what Lincoln, the genuflecting Lincoln, throwing holy water on the statue and saying the sign of the cross and saying, please, Abraham, help us. We must aggressively challenge executive orders and unconstitutional laws within the boundaries of states. We will control and begin to selectively sidestep enforcement of draconian federal laws that are odious to our values. 
the plain language of the Constitution to our, the concept of American liberties. Well, that sounds like nullification, yet he was just criticizing nullification. Um, okay. This is what Calhoun said we should do. This is what Jefferson and Madison said we should do. Yet, what he's saying we should do is act like Lincoln. And he says it, and he says it at the end, and I'll get to that. There are, of course, good people on the other side of the aisle, including, for many of us, family and friends, but it is time for choosing. Those good people remaining on the left must decide to which type of polity they aspire. If they wish to urge their leaders to turn dramatically from the current chorus and reconcile with us, we should meet them in the spirit of compromise. But if they wish to cast their lots with our current overlords and their increasingly totalitarian designs, we must tell them that while they are welcome to govern themselves, they are no longer allowed to govern us. Again, this sounds a lot like what the South said in 1861. Yet the guy begins a piece talking about firing on Fort Sumter and that we need to act like Lincoln. Where are these people? I don't... The, the, the disjointed part of this piece, the inconsistency is so appalling. This thing shouldn't even have been published. It will be overwhelming to oppose an enemy that controls virtually every single institution of society, kind of like Lincoln did in 1860 and 61. I'm sorry, 61, not 60, but 61. There are indeed insurrectionists in Washington, D.C. The problem is that they are currently running the country and the bureaucracy, having imprisoned a few sad sack political opponents who do not understand the rules of the game being played. Um, that's exactly what happened in 1861. The growing and ener- energetic majority of Democratic leaders have already seceded from America, from its culture, its history, its government, and its institutions. Lincoln lost Fort Sumter. But he and America eventually would triumph in the broader struggle. The broader, this, this triumph bring, brought all the stuff that he's complaining about. And then the solutions he's giving you are exactly what the South wanted to do. This is what the United States was doing in 1775 and 1776 and setting up the Continental Congress. Those are parallel political institutions. And then they seceded from the British Empire and fought the imperial power, which is what Lincoln was in 1861. These people cannot get over their love affair with Abraham Lincoln. They need to drop it like a hot potato and say, see ya, if they really want people to actually think that they mean this stuff. In 1861, America's opponents made it clear they viewed the war. America's opponents? Who's America? Wait a second. America's opponents? You mean the Americans in the South? They weren't America's opponents. They, in fact, were fighting for America, the Constitution. Just like Jeremy Carl is saying we're doing here now. We're supposedly fighting for the Constitution by saying these things, yet they're America's enemies. America's opponents made it clear they viewed the war as existential. Lincoln responded with firmness and determination, a determination that would eventually lead to victory. Yeah, and and foisting on America, the United States, what we're seeing now. In 2021, the Democrats have made clear that they see their struggle against us as an existential one and that there is no tactic they will not use in search of total victory. We need to match the resolve with our own. Isn't that what Lincoln said in 18, <laughs> 1861? Isn't that what Lincoln said I mean, when he issued the Emancipation Proclamation and an abolitionist judge said this is illegal? And he said, oh, I mean, it's there to best subdue the enemy. I can do whatever I want. Isn't this what the left is doing? So by matching Lincoln's determination, we're digging our own graves. By saying we admire Abraham Lincoln, we might as well just say we lost. We need to admire the decentralists 
This is embarrassing that these people are somehow conservative, that they're this stupid that they can't realize what they're doing. It's embarrassing. And people read this and think, oh, oh this is great. The, the Democrats. Yeah, the Democrats are the background. The Democrats. Oh, the Southerners are just Democrats. You see, because they look at the world and Republican and Democrat. And that's how stupid they really are. It's sad. It really is sad. And there's like 700 comments on this piece. Of people that, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But they don't, they don't see the inconsistency. These Claremont people, Michael Anton, Jeremy Carl, they can't see the inconsistency in everything they're doing. Anyways, I, I had to cover this piece because it's so embarrassingly bad. When there's parts I agree with. Yeah, these things are happening. Yeah, this thing is happening. This is what's happening. But what made it all happen? You can't be conservative if you're going to continue a love affair with Abraham Lincoln. You can't do it. That's, that is why these Claremont people can't figure out that why we sit here and hammer on Lincoln all the time. Because that is the linchpin of all this stuff. And then, of course, then you get to Franklin Roosevelt and Woodrow Wilson, and that does codify all that. But you're going to be Lincolnian. You're going you're gonna to invite the very stuff that he's ra- railing against here in this piece. It's just embarrassingly short-sighted. All right. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Brian McClanahan Show. I'll see you next time for the next one. See you then.